welcome to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. If you like American Catholic history, become a supporter at Locals or Patreon. We've got some great perks for supporters, including interviews, gifts, live discussions, and even items we pick up on our travels and pilgrimages. For more, visit our website, AmericanCatholicHistory.org. Help us keep this going. Also, be sure to give us a five-star rating and a great review at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. These help others to find us. Today we're talking about the first Mass offered in what is now the United States of America. It was way back in early April of 1513, and it was on the coast of modern-day Florida, somewhere near St. Augustine. Now, just to put this in historical perspective, this means that the first holy sacrifice of the Mass was offered on these shores four years before the Protestant Reformation kicked off. Now, that fact just kind of makes me sit back and think about the heritage of Catholics in America. Naturally, we all know about the Enlightenment and the English roots of our American history, but Catholics had already begun making their mark on this continent and what would become this country more than 100 years before John Locke was born, 180 years before Montesquieu, and more than 200 years before Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Stuff like this just sort of makes me geek out. That's why I love doing this podcast. And to add one more level of In the providence of God, there's no such thing as a coincidence. The first landing and first mass happened during Holy Week. As the church is observing the passion and resurrection of Christ, the ultimate new beginning, Catholics were establishing a new beginning of sorts for the church. This was the very beginning of the spread of the faith across this continent. Yeah, I know. I just love it. Now, to respond preemptively to some, well, actuallys that I can already hear, first, yes, we are well aware that the coming of the Catholic explorers didn't just mean that they brought the faith with them. Plenty of bad things were also done by a number of the Europeans who came over, things like chattel slavery and the mass slaughter of villages. The church spent a lot of time during this age of exploration exhorting the explorers to be better Christians, and we will bring up one of these efforts in a moment while talking about Ponce de Leon. The other, well, actually, we will address is the date of the first mass on the North American continent. We know there's evidence that both the Norse Viking Leif Erikson, who was Catholic, and perhaps even the Irish monk St. Brendan the Navigator came to the North American continent many centuries earlier. St. Brendan was a priest, so he would have offered mass, and Erikson likely would have had a chaplain on his expedition as well. So his landing likely would have meant mass in North America. But two things. First, the evidence says that their landings were in present-day Canada, so both are outside our subject matter. And two, or secondly, neither of them stuck around and started the long-term evangelization of the continent. So when we talk about the evangelization of the North American continent, it really starts with this landing by Ponce de Leon in 1513. Yes, and it's an incredible thing to think about. Most Catholics in America don't even know when their own parish or diocese was established or when Catholics first came to their own hometown. But this sort of awareness is so important for having a grounding in who we are. It helps us have a better understanding of our own heritage what led to the situation we live in, and what conditions color our experiences and how we should live in our society. And that means the good parts 
and the bad parts. Yeah, we just recorded a conversation with our friend, Dr. Matthew Brenninger, who is a clinical psychologist and assistant professor of psychology at Franciscan University of Steubenville. He shared a lot about the importance of knowing one's own personal and family history. That was part of our new American Catholic History Conversation series, which we share with our supporters. You should check out AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support for information about how to become a supporter. But that plug done. Let's talk more about how that landing of Ponce de Leon happened. First, who was Ponce de Leon? Juan Ponce de Leon was born, it seems, in 1474 in north-central Spain. His hometown, Centervas de Campos, is in the present-day Valladolid province of Spain. One interesting note about this is that the city of Valladolid would play a significant role in the politics of the New World in the 16th century and beyond. In 1550 and 1551, the city hosted the Valladolid debate, which was about slavery and the treatment of natives in the New World. The great Dominican friar Bartolomeo de las Casas would do yeoman's work arguing for the dignity and humanity of the natives against those who thought the natives were subhuman and should be subjugated and enslaved. There's at least one other connection that we know of between Ponce de Leon and those debates, which we'll mention in a bit. We'll likely devote an entire episode to the Valladolid debate and the whole slavery question. It's a difficult question and deserves a careful and honest treatment. Oh, absolutely. And yes, that'll be another time. Ponce de Leon was of noble lineage, and he became a soldier at a young age. While he was growing up, the Catholic monarchs Isabella of Castile and Ferdinand of Aragon took the Reconquista into its final stages, finally taking Granada in 1492. This ended more than 700 years of Islamic rule on the Iberian Peninsula. Through their marriage, Isabella and Ferdinand became the first king and queen of a unified Spain. Juan Ponce de Leon took part in this fight as a soldier. In 1493, after the Reconquista was accomplished, he joined up with Christopher Columbus's second voyage to the New World. This voyage lasted three years, and they sailed around the Lesser Antilles and Caribbean, stopping on Antigua, Hispaniola, Cuba, Puerto Rico, and plenty of other idyllic tropical islands. Three years in that part of the world? Where do I sign up for duty? <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Columbus and crew, including Ponce de Leon, returned to Spain in spring of 1496. In the beginning of the 1500s, Ponce de Leon returned to the Caribbean, to the island of Hispaniola, modern-day Haiti and the Dominican Republic, where he was an officer in the Spanish army. During this time, he apparently was in charge of putting down some rebellions by some native factions, and he led some pretty brutal actions. But for his tenacity and dedication to duty, he was actually rewarded by being named governor of the region. One of those brutal campaigns, the Massacre of the Higüe, caught the attention of Bartolomeo de las Casas. He protested loudly and reported it to the Spanish authorities as an example of the ill treatment of the natives. But his message to the monarchs was blocked, so nothing happened to Ponce de Leon, and the debate was delayed for a long time. In 1508, King Ferdinand of Spain gave Ponce de Leon the official sanction to explore and settle the nearby island we now know as Puerto Rico. At the time, they called it San Juan Bautista or St. John the Baptist. In 1509, he was named governor of the new colony on the island. But politics got really interesting at this point. Diego Colon, the son of Christopher Columbus, asserted that he had inherited his father's claim to be the rightful governor of San Juan Bautista. And though King Ferdinand favored Ponce de Leon, his hands were tied by the way the agreements had been signed with Christopher Columbus. 
Diego Colon had the legal right to control it. So, in 1511, Ponce de Leon lost his position as governor of San Juan Bautista. King Ferdinand told Ponce de Leon to go explore the islands reported to exist to the northwest of San Juan Bautista, including the western islands of the Bahamas, known as Bimini, and a larger island further west that had not yet been formally claimed and mapped. King Ferdinand gave Ponce de Leon legal right to be governor of whatever new islands he discovered. Raising the ships and crew took until March of 1513 when they set sail. After sailing for a few weeks, they came to a couple of islands in the Bimini area before, on April 2nd, 1513, they spotted that new island, which was not yet claimed, nor on any charts. It wasn't an island. It was the coast of Florida. The exact date they came ashore is not known with certainty, but since Easter Sunday in 1513 was on April 6th, that meant that April 2nd, when they spotted the island, would have been Wednesday of Holy Week, and that would have put it in the Feast of Flowers or Pascua de las Floridas, which is a term used for Palm Sunday in a number of European countries. Now, this is a point of confusion, and we nearly tripped up on it ourselves. Many sources say that Pascua de las Floridas means Easter, but it doesn't. For many centuries, in places around Europe where palms do not grow, the faithful used other plant fronds, including flowers, to be to welcome Christ into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It was also the first Sunday when flowers would be found in the church, since the previous six Sundays were Sundays of Lent, and before Lent it was winter, so there just wouldn't have been many flowers. So it was in the wake of the great feast of flowers that they spotted land and came ashore. The one thing I think we can say with some confidence is that they did not come ashore on Good Friday. No one would have wanted to do anything on a day of fasting, and it wouldn't have been appropriate for good observant Catholics. So we're going with either Holy Thursday or Holy Saturday, April 3rd or April 5th, as the big day. And part of this solemn event, naturally, was offering the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And so, in early April of 1513, whether April 3rd or April 5th, somewhere near present-day St. Augustine, Florida, the first Mass was offered on the land that is now the United States of America. Ponce de Leon named the place La Florida, both because they landed during Pascua de las Floridas and because it was so bursting with flowers and greenery. This means that Florida was the first place in the U.S. to get its current name, and it is named, in part, for Palm Sunday. Nowadays, the state of Florida recognizes April 2nd as Pascua Florida. Floridians are encouraged to spend some time during the week participating in commemorative programs to remember and celebrate the rich history of Florida all the way back to Ponce de Leon's sighting in 1513. That celebration only goes back to 1953 when a social studies teacher in Jacksonville proposed the commemoration. Right. But so Ponce de Leon and his group stayed ashore for about five days before setting sail again to explore and map the coast heading south. They still thought it was just a large island at this point. They rounded the southern tip of the peninsula, sailed through the Keys and up the Gulf Coast some distance. While exploring the Gulf Coast, Ponce de Leon's ships encountered the hostile Calusa tribes. Skirmish broke out with both sides taking casualties. Eventually, after getting away from the Calusa, 
tooling around a bit more and getting temporarily lost, Ponce de Leon arrived back in San Juan Bautista in October of 1513. Note something here. Ponce de Leon was not searching for a mythical fountain of youth. No reference to this exists in any of the documents concerning his voyages. Yeah, the legend of such a fountain goes back thousands of years and it exists in many cultures. And there is a strain of it that attached to Bimini and the Bahamas. In some people's writings about Ponce de Leon, after his death, his voyage to Florida became connected to the quest for the fountain of youth, but it was never something that Ponce de Leon himself bought into or based his expedition on. Right. The purpose of the voyage was to expand the Spanish Empire, find gold, and spread Christianity. Ponce de Leon returned to Spain in 1514, where he was knighted and given the exclusive right to govern his new discoveries. He came back to the New World in 1515, but had to turn around and return to Spain in 1516 after King Ferdinand died. With the new king on the throne, Ponce de Leon would have to defend his legal claim on what Ferdinand had guaranteed him. But he needn't have worried. Ferdinand's successor on the Spanish throne, Charles V, confirmed his rights and what Ferdinand had promised. With that confirmed, he returned to San Juan Bautista in 1518, where he prepared to go back to La Florida to establish a colony that would last. He put together a massive colonizing party of 200 people, farmers, tradesmen, priests, and all other manner of person, plus livestock and lots of crops, everything that would be required. In early 1521, the contingent sail for La Florida. They chose a spot on the southwest corner of the peninsula to land, but the reception was not warm. The same Calusa natives who had attacked Ponce de Leon's ships in 1513 came at them again. During the skirmish, Ponce de Leon received an arrow in the thigh. Normally, that's a highly unpleasant but not life-threatening wound. In this case, though, it would prove to be fatal as the arrow was poisoned. The landing party returned to the ships with Ponce de Leon and the colonization was abandoned. Ponce de Leon was brought ashore at Havana and Cuba, where he died from the poisoned arrow wound. His ships returned to San Juan Bautista with his body, where he was interred in the cathedral. And that's the story of Juan Ponce de Leon, the first holy sacrifice of the Mass in what is now the United States, and the first attempts to establish a permanent colony in Florida. It wouldn't be long before lasting colonies would be established and the first martyrs of Florida would be crowned. We told the story of the martyrs of Las Floridas in episode 20. This was a whole group of more than 1,000 martyrs who were killed between 1549 and 1761 and over a region that includes modern-day Florida, Georgia, Alabama, parts of Carolinas, and even up into Virginia. So while no one is clamoring for the canonization of Ponce de Leon, his story has its share of dark parts, what his exploration brought about and led to certainly is worthy of celebration. For all his faults, Juan Ponce de Leon was the one to bring the holy sacrifice of the Mass to these shores, and the one to pave the way for the spread of the gospel across this continent. This has been American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by the StarQuest Production Network. If you enjoy American Catholic history, become a supporter on Locals or Patreon. Get information about both and the perks of being a supporter at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. Also, on our website, sign up for our newsletter, learn more about Ponce de Leon in the First Mass in 1513, see our upcoming pilgrimages, and find other episodes. And be sure to check out our sponsor, Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy, and construction 
production and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. We love getting your feedback and suggestions for episodes. You can email us at feedback at AmericanCatholicHistory.org. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash American Catholic History. On Instagram at ACH underscore podcast. Or follow us on Twitter at ACH1513. I'm Noel Hester Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by StarQuest. <laughs>